Well, it is a good morning. I'm glad you guys are here. If you don't know me, my name is Josh, and I'm the pastor for children and youth here. Um, pastor Stephen is not here. He's on vacation. And so uh, I am privileged to bring you God's word today. And we'll be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 9. And if you're using the Pew Bible, that's actually on page 966. So that's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verses 6 through 9. And in the Pew Bible, it's page 966. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this time. There's no, no better thing that I could actually think of that we could be doing than being here, worshiping you with one another to start this new year. We thank you for the gift of life. We thank you that you give us our next breath. And so would you help us to bring you glory by living a life of faith. And that our aim and our ambition would be to please you above all things in our life. And that our, our greatest longing of our heart would be to know you and to make you known in this world. We thank you for making us your children. It's a pleasure. It's a privilege. One that we don't deserve. We thank you for your grace. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, it is the new year. And a lot of times at the end of the year, we spend time reflecting about God's grace to us, His goodness to us, and then we even think and plan for the upcoming year. And if, if statistics are right, about 50% of us here today will have goals or ambitions or New Year's resolutions for this coming year. But then about half of us may not have goals. And you may not set goals anymore because you just got tired of failing to meet them. You got tired of seeing yourself set goals and not meet them. And you're just tired of the never-ending cycle of goal setting and then goal forgetting. But then some of us will set goals for the upcoming year and they reveal things about us. It reveals our heart. It reveals what we long for, what we hope for, what we even want ourselves to be in the future. So we're looking towards something that we are not yet because we want something better. So we set goals. We, set, we call them resolutions, right? And some of the most common resolutions that, that most people set are I want to enjoy life to the fullest. Right? You may even be thinking about, I want to take this summer the dream vacation. Or another one is, I want to live a healthier lifestyle. I want to make better decisions or go to sleep earlier. Or some of us may say, I want to lose weight. Or I want to keep weight off. Or I, I aimed to lose 20. And I gained 30. Or some of us even say, I want to spend more time with family and friends. Right now we're getting a little more noble 
I want to spend time with my family and my friends. Or some of us may even say, I want to save more money and spend less. You might call that a budget. I want to have a plan for the way I spend my money. And all of these things, they reveal something about us. These aren't bad things. None of them are bad. But it reveals what's most important to us. It reveals what our hearts are thinking about and what our hearts want. And so I even want us to think about our goals, our resolutions for this year. And what are they? I think Paul is going to give us some insight here. And as we, in a few minutes, read this passage, we're jumping into the middle of a thought that actually begins in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 16. And Paul's setting up this this comparison and contrast, I think, of, of life now and life eternal. And even when he talks about life now, he talks about there's afflictions in life, there's difficulties, there's troubles. And he even says they're preparing for us glory. And when he talks about these afflictions that we all experience, he even calls them light and momentary, which I think is actually quite odd if we think about Paul's life. Since he became a Christian, a Christ follower, his life could really be summed up in a a big catastrophe or one big affliction. He was shipwrecked and feared for his life. He was beaten. He was imprisoned multiple times. But yet he calls life's afflictions now light and momentary. So why would he do this? Why could he say anything we go through today or anything that we go through the rest of our life is just light and just momentary? It's because he's looking to what's eternal. He's looking to what he says is the eternal weight of glory that's beyond all comparison. So I can look at my life, whether it's good or filled with afflictions, and it's just momentary. It's just light when I look to the glory that's standing before me when I'm with Christ. Even if these afflictions last the rest of our life, the rest of Paul's life, they are but momentary. And so he even gives us how these afflictions and and life now is contrasted with what's to come and how that motivates our life today, how it motivates our life the rest of this year and the years to come. And so I want us to see two things as we look at this text. The first, I want us to see that we're to walk by faith. And then the second is that we can make it our life's ambition to please God. So would you read with me now in 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 9. It says this, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. We make it our aim to please him. 
But Paul says that we walk by faith. This is how we do it. We walk by faith. And so the the question is, what is faith? Right? It's something that we sometimes use a lot in the church or with Christian friends, but what is it? I think Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, well, really the whole chapter we look at is this kind of hall of faith, this recounting of, of heroes in the faith from the Old Testament and how they lived lives of faith. But right before it gets into the people, it says in verse 1, now faith is, ears perk up, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And so faith is this trusting, it's this believing in what God has done, and it's this faith and trusting in who He is that He will then fulfill His promises. So we look at His character, and we believe and we trust in what He will do. And so this walking by faith means you're not walking by sight, right? There in verse Verse 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. And even from Hebrews 11, it's, it's this conviction, it's this faith, this belief in something that's promised, but yet has not been seen by our eyes. But it's more than just a mere hope, like I hope it will happen. But it's a deep conviction, it's a deep belief based on who our God is, that I'm going to walk with Him, not based on the things that I see. I'm going to believe, not because I see something and not because my hands touch it, but I'm going to believe I'm going to walk in Him because I know who my God is. And even though we we walk not by sight, we don't need to worry either. Right? Sometimes we do look and we see this world, our afflictions, as Paul would even say earlier in the chapter, and it causes us to groan. But my faith isn't based, your faith isn't based on what you see. We can walk in good courage, it says. It says it two different times, once in verse 6, and it also says in verse 8 that we are to be of good courage. So then the question is, well, why? Why can I be of good courage when I go through difficulties and sufferings and afflictions? Look back up with me at verse 5. He, that is God, who has prepared for us this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So, Remember, Paul's comparing the afflictions of this life to this eternal glory that he will once have, that you, as a Christ follower, will once have. And you can now be of good courage today in this life because God has given you the Spirit. And it's a guarantee of what is to come. So you can walk of good, walk in good courage. And notice what he says right there at, In verse 6, he says, So we are always of good courage. Not sometimes, not when life is good, not when you're stocking away money at the end of the paycheck and bills are paid. 
always of good courage. Always of good courage. Not because you are doing good, not because life is going well, but because you have the Spirit of God living in you as your promise, your guarantee of life eternal with God. I don't think it can get much better than that. So be of good courage. Always be of good courage. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't come upon you and then leave one day. It's not based on how good you are. You don't receive salvation in the Holy Spirit because you've done enough good things. If by God's grace through faith you've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, rest assured it will never, ever leave you. This is comforting, I hope. It's comforting for me. It's it's invigorating. It's exciting because I know God is at work in me, at work in you if you have him. And I wasn't originally planning on this illustration, I changed it. I was reading in Hebrews 11, just as I read to you guys verse 1 already, and then continuing to read on, and, and two different times, just, I read this whole chapter, but especially this part about Moses. It just continued to blow me away. And so I hope that as I read this, this will just even give you a picture of what it means to live life by faith, that we could walk by faith. So this is beginning Hebrews 11, verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Not by faith, or sorry, not by sight, but walk by faith. His parents They weren't afraid of the king's edict, the one who could have put them to death if they were found out. They said, I will look fear in the face, and it doesn't matter. Why? Because they saw who he was. Continue on with me in verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was gone up, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So Moses, the fleeting pleasures, in sight they don't look so fleeting, right? I could be a son of Pharaoh's daughter, have the treasures of the world, But what's he do? He considered the reproach of Christ, the affliction of being known as a God follower, as greater wealth than anything Egypt could have ever given him. Verse 27. By faith, he, speaking of Moses again, left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So Moses leaves Egypt. Yes, he was 
quite hesitant a number of times. He tells the Lord, I can't speak. I don't want to do it. But he does in the end. Not being afraid of the anger of the king and what got him through it. He endured. He got through. He got over. He overcame being afraid of the anger of the king because he looked to him who is invisible. He looked to his God, the one he trusted in, the one he walked by faith with. Not by sight. Be of good courage because God is with you. Faith is this longing for what is to come and living according to that. And so, so many of us walk around by, by sight living like this world is our home. And instead of trusting in, in God, we trust in our ingenuity or our savviness. And it's easy. I think we're all prone to this. So what does a life look like where we're walking by faith? I think it looks like us longing for God, loving Him, wanting to know Him more and to be like Him, and then living according to that. I think that's what a life of faith is, is knowing Him and living according to what we know of Him. And perhaps... Walking by faith would, would be living this life as if we're living with God right here with us. And in fact, He is. His Spirit resides within you if you're His child. And so if I'm living this life imagining that I'm living it right before the very eyes of God as He sees me, I think that changes everything that I do. And if I'm growing my love for Him, if I'm being enthralled with Him, enjoying Him, doesn't that make the treasures of Egypt, the pleasures of this world, pale in comparison to following Him who is invisible? I think it does. And so even for us as a church, it's, it's my prayer, just even with... John's prayer this morning and, and Mark's challenge to us this morning is, is that we wouldn't just be a church that kind of goes through the motions. That we would be a church that seeks God, that longs for God to work in us and longs for Him to work through us like He's never worked in us before. We are to walk by faith. It's not something that we see. Not yet. One day we will be with Him. But until then, we're to walk by faith. And, and if we do, we will make it our life's ambition to please God. So look with me at verse 9. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. Some of your translations may say we make it our goal or our ambition to please Him. 
I think it even has this idea of, of laboring for him, working. Philip Hughes in his commentary on this passage says this, It is only natural that Paul should also wish to live, live in such a way as to please him. This indeed is his consuming ambition, the motive force behind all that he does. To be well-pleasing to Christ is indeed the sum of all ambition, which is truly Christian. So do you hear that? Even when we, when we thought about the themes of most people's resolutions, right? Good things, not bad things, to spend time with, with family and friends, to want to be healthier, to make better decisions. Those aren't bad things. But if those ambitions aren't wrapped up in a whole life consumed with being well-pleasing before God, then is it, is it really worth it? I think it's not. And so, even here Paul says we, right? He doesn't say I. He uses the plural pronoun we make it our ambition. So he's wanting us, he's wanting the Corinthians at this time to make it their ambition or their aim to please God, to please Him. And so then we should be asking ourselves, well, what is it that pleases God? How do I know I can please Him? Well, listen to these three verses. Hebrews eleven six. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Did you hear that? The foundation of pleasing God is faith in God. It's believing in God. So that's the, the foundation. Everything else is built upon faith in him. And then 2 Timothy 2.4, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And 1 John 3.22, And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. So there's, there's this idea that it's the same for us as it is for the soldier. His aim when he's going to battle is not to, to be distracted by life, He's not thinking about what's, what's the score of the football game last night. His aim is to please his commanding officer. His aim is to do what his commanding officer has said he is to do. And the same for us. It is that we would lift, live a life that pleases God. And by doing that, or the way we do that, is that we live a life that obeys God out of an overflow of our faith and our belief in Him. And so this idea of pleasing Him has to do with us obeying Him, obeying what we know to be true about Him. Listen to, to these words from Stephen Nichols. He says, He was a young man, unsure of his future. He had many gifts and not a few options before him. His father and grandfather were ministers, as were uncles and others in the family tree. 
He had a first-rate education, one of the finest of the day. So he was well prepared for a future in the halls of, of the academy, should he so choose. He even had a penchant for science and perhaps could have headed off in that direction. But for the time being, he was a pastor, a young pastor of that, 18 going on 19. He found himself far from his native soil of the Connecticut River Valley in the throes of a church split in a Presbyterian church in New York City. He had been invited to pastor the minority faction somewhere along the docks of the city's harbor. New York City wasn't nearly as busy in 1722, the year in question as it is now. The population hovered around just underneath 10,000. For a young man from the idyllic setting of a small town in New England, however, it was a place unlike any had ever seen. Amidst all of this uncertainty and flux, this young man, Jonathan Edwards, needed both a place to stand and a compass for some direction. He took his writing. So he took to writing. He kept a diary and penned some guidelines, which he called his resolutions. These resolutions would supply both that place for him to stand and a compass to guide as he made his way. I think that's all of us. We need something that grounds us, that centers us on the one thing that is never changing, on the one thing that has the only power to change us. And that's God, that our faith would be in Him, but that we would live a life that pleases Him. And Jonathan Edwards, at the age of 19 and finished up his resolutions at 18, he says, here's just a a sampling of his resolutions. He said, Resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Resolved when I feel pain to think of the pains of martyrdom and of hell. Resolved to improve every opportunity when I am in the best and happiest frame of mind to cast and venture my soul on the Lord Jesus, to trust and confide in Him and consecrate myself wholly to Him, that from this I may have assurance of my safety, knowing that I confide in my Redeemer. Resolve to live so at all times as I think is best in my devout frames, and when I have clearest notions of the things of the gospel, and another world. So you can even hear his resolutions or his ambitions in life. And this is just four of the 70 that he penned. At the age of 18 and 19, I think he had a clearer picture of how to please God than many of us at 34 or 50. And it's all centered on God. His faith in God. But what sticks out to me above all of his resolutions is his prayer at the beginning, which says this. Being sensible, or that is knowing, that I am unable to do anything without God's help, I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so as far as they are agreeable to his will. 
for Christ's sake. So he doesn't set out with these resolutions to live a life that from the outside just is is like a Pharisee. It's not just a religion to him. But his aim in everything is to please God. That it would be for Christ's sake. And I think the same thing should be true for us. Our resolutions or our ambitions, they tend to be so short-sighted. I want to be a better person six months, 12 months from now. Those aren't bad. But what if you had life resolutions, life ambitions that far exceeded losing 10 pounds or spending more time with a family member? What if your aim of your whole entire life was to please God? But there might be a bit of hesitancy in some of you right now hearing, please God? How? I thought as Christians we couldn't please God. Or we can't earn favor with God. Well, that hesitation I want to say is good, right? Because we can't, we want to stay away from a salvation based on works. Because if we're going off of what we get paid or the wages, the things that we earn because of the way we live, all we deserve is hell. All you and I deserve based on our life, because of our rebellion against God, is death and separation from Him forever. So how does that mesh with, I want to please God, but I can't do anything to earn salvation or His favor in salvation? Well, Paul's not talking about salvation here. If we remember all of what Paul's written and look even at Ephesians chapter 2, he would say salvation is a gift of God. It's a free gift of God. You can't earn it or else somebody could boast. It's only by His grace. And so what is Paul talking about here when he says, I make it my life's ambition or my aim to please Him? It's not that God would accept him based on his works. But Paul's saying, I want to live my life with an aim to pleasing, to obeying God. To doing his will. And it's very similar with us and our kids, right? You don't accept your child into your family based on their behavior. They're your child because down to their very core, they're part of your family. But does it not please you when your child obeys? Does it not please you when your child chooses to deny self and listen to mom and dad? Yes, it does. I know it does. I know it in my own family's life. In my life, it pleases me to see my kids choose to obey mom and dad. That's what Paul's talking about here. He's not saying you can earn salvation. He's not saying I want you to live or I want to live a life that's going to earn God's favor. I want to live a life that pleases God in every way because I obey Him out of my faith as an overflow of my faith. And I pray that that's reality for all of us. 
you and I don't know how much time we have left in this life, in this body. For some of us, it's more than others. But we don't know. And just because you're young doesn't mean you think doesn't mean that you have more life to live than someone who's in their 60s or 70s. We have no idea how much time we have left. And Paul says here, he's making his ambition. He's striving. He's aiming. His eyes are fixed on that which is invisible. So that he's motivated today to do what pleases God. We even see in 2 Corinthians 4.18, he says, We look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And so I think when we remember that, when we remember that the things that matter most, the things that last, that are eternal, they're what's, it's what's invisible, what we can't see. But we have seen one. At least you and I have seen him through the scriptures. And some have seen him eye to eye. Who perfectly walked by faith. Who was always looking to his father. And we even know that from the scriptures he is the image of the invisible God. And so when you struggle to, for your life to be, to be aimed at. To be everything to be about Him. Look at the image of the invisible God. Read the Word. Know Christ. Know God through His Word. And I can think of no better, if we want to say, ambitions for our church this year than for us to read the Word and to spend time in prayer as a faith family. And I hope you see that It's very intentional. Next week's sermon is on the Word. The the sermon after that, it's on prayer. We're starting a week of prayer next Sunday, January 8th. And so I would like to encourage you all to join us. You should have received a schedule. uh, You should have received an email with the schedule. And if you didn't, let me know. We can send that email so you know how to join us your faith family, to pursue God in prayer. That your life's ambition may be centered on God through prayer. But then also reading the Word. I, I didn't really have a number in mind, but when I checked this morning, it's pleased me, as one of your pastors, to see 91 of you have signed up to read the Bible this year. Let me even encourage you. It's easy to start. It's hard to continue. Endure because you're looking to the one who is invisible. As the days and the months grow long, the year can be difficult. Let me encourage you to endure reading the word because you're looking to the one who is invisible, but you also have 90 other people with you pursuing God by reading his word. If you haven't signed up, you can sign up. This is a very shameless plug. 
you can sign up at the Welcome Center after the service. I want as many of you to join us reading the Word, that God might change us, that we'd be walking with Him by faith, that we would be a people whose aim, our whole life, is oriented towards pleasing Him. And so, instead of, instead of merely making New Year's resolutions, why don't you and I, as a church, begin making a life's resolution? pursue Him, to walk by faith as we make our aim, our ambition in life to please God. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You for today. We thank You that You are a God who has revealed Himself. You revealed Yourself to us through Your Word, You've revealed Yourself to us through Christ. And so I ask that You would help us today. Would You enable us today, through Your Holy Spirit, to know You, to live in a way that's according to You, and what You would have of us, that we would walk by faith, and that You would help us make our life's ambition to know You to please you. We thank you for being well pleased with your son in his death and his resurrection that we might have life in him. So would you grow our appreciation and our love for Christ and what he's done. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.